welcome to drboystv.com. Uh, this is the home for intelligent black people. And uh, my name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. And today uh, I'm super excited because we get a chance to talk about the tremendous legal victory of a man by the name of Bill Cosby. Uh, many of you saw what happened uh, with Mr. Cosby or Dr. Cosby and uh, how the legal system, uh, some would say, didn't do his job. Uh, a lot of us were concerned about what happened uh, in uh, the Bill Cosby case. And uh, the man that I get the opportunity to talk with today is a brother for whom I have tremendous respect. Uh, he did a wonderful job representing uh, Bill Cosby's team. His name is Mr. Andrew Wyatt. And I'd like to ask Andrew, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. Dr. Boyce Watkins, I'm a big fan. Uh, thank you for having me on. Thank you for putting the truth and the facts out. It wasn't allowed with mainstream media. And we need more entities like yours, I hear, uh, who can put the facts out, who can explain things in, in, a, in a very layman's term way, where the regular Joe, who uh, the regular person who might not have that education, they get to understand what's going on in the world of black America and, and how America uh, see us and how they treat us. So it's, it's an honor to be on your show and to be, hopefully I get to be in your presence one day. Well, you know what? Uh, the honor is all mine. And, uh, and I, I'll tell you, um, uh, you, you had, uh, I would almost say one of the toughest jobs in America. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, this, this case, I know a lot of us have been following this, and uh, and I, I've never met Mr. Cosby, but um, I, I know some affiliated people. I'm pretty good friends with uh, Daryl Bell from a different world. He played Ron. Yeah. yeah. Chicago, Chicago guy. Yeah. 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 And, and every now and then I talk to Malcolm Jamal Warner on, on Instagram periodically. And I and, and one of the things I I noticed about the case is that there was so there was so much of, of a mixed type of energy in terms of how to address a lot of this. Um, and so let's just start from the beginning. Uh, so in, in terms of just being in the lion's den, as you and I were talking about being in the lion's den, what does that feel like uh, to uh, to represent Mr. Cosby in such a, in a case that's so important to so many people, you know, for good and bad reasons? Look, it feels great because um, it's bigger than Bill Cosby. You know, it's not about Bill Cosby. You know, it showed us. And that's why it's a great honor for me. Because I'm representing, you know, cats like myself who grew up in the projects in Bessemer, Alabama, uh, who grew up with nothing. But imagine if they could get a guy with all of the resources that one could dream of having, you know, not financial resources, you know, friends who got resources, uh, legal resources. If they could come after him, then they could come after any black person in America. Uh, it, it wasn't easy. You know, this was uh, something that came out of nowhere, uh, when the allegations came about, uh, just to take people back uh, and, and give some background on this. When it came about, uh, this was in October 2014, Mr. and Mrs. Cosby had put their art collection on loan to the Smithsonian uh, National American Museum of History and Arts. And so they put it on loan, gave the Smithsonian also, uh, I think it was close to a million dollars. No one has ever seen the art collection unless you're invited to the home. That's the only way you get to see it. It infuriated a lot of people, especially the Washington Post, uh, when they saw that they tried to diminish the collection, said it didn't it, it, it didn't reflect uh, uh, proper art. Uh, and in, in their in their world, part proper art is Picasso. The black art did not reflect proper art. Uh, <laughs> but however, white people want to own all black art now. 
They want it on their walls. So, but ours, but the Cosby's didn't reflect it. However, um, Mr. Cosby, we were doing a number of interviews that day. Uh, I was so honored to have him on Gwen Eiffel. Uh, and the late Gwen Eiffel, him and Mrs. Cosby sat down with her. The interviews were going great that day uh, until he was left by himself uh, with the AP, Associated Press. And they started asking questions while he was sitting with Mrs. Cosby about women and women coming forward with allegations. And he specifically stated, uh, look, uh, I would like for you, sir, to erase that tape. Uh, out of respect for my wife in so many words. And that's when the firestorm happened, Dr. Watkins. We, uh, it was something that no one had ever seen before. I was in D.C. I had went back to my hotel briefly. Uh, and the next thing I know, I'm watching the news. And it's something, it's about Bill Cosby, you know, and women coming out with accusations, and they never stop. And then... Um, CNN started parading the women out, never vetting the women. I got on the phone with Don Lemon. I said, what are you guys doing here? Why aren't you asking them the questions like one of the women, PJ Mastin? Mastin. Well, PJ accused Marv Albert of biting. She was one of the women who came after Marv Albert. But now she's accusing Cosby. She never mentioned Cosby's name when she accused Marv Albert, which, which took Marv Albert off of every sports television show that you could think of. So we started looking into the background of these women, sending different things. Media ignored us. Uh, they told us, no, uh, we will not read anything unless you give us Bill Cosby. We want him. The setup was there. So Gloria already starts parading the women out, just parading the women out. It never stopped. Then this guy, Bob Huber, Philly Magazine, who paid Hannibal Burris to do the rape joke? They first really? had, they paid him. Uh, our investigators found this out. We was uh, a firm TNM protection. Uh, Robert Tucker, uh, Robert Tucker ran the firm. We found out it was a freelance journalist who the uh, Philly Magazine, because Huber hated Bill Cosby. He wrote an article uh, called "What It's Like to Be a White Man in Black Philadelphia," and. He, he always harassed Cosby. He was the one in 05 that tried to bring the other women out where Cosby settled out with Cunston. They were called Jane Doe's then. So Huber gets on CNN and Huber stays in the midst of what's going on with Mike Brown and Ferguson. Do not let Ferguson and the holidays take Bill Cosby out the news. Now, what's so relevant about CNN, just to give a little color to this, okay, Zucker uh, was the president of CNN. Before CNN, Zucker was the president of NBC. Cosby was trying to buy NBC, was trying to put new shows on NBC, save NBC for bankruptcy. Zucker was having dinner in Mr. Cosby's New York home at that time. And Mr. Cosby, Zucker said something very racist to Mr. Cosby, president of NBC. Mr. Cosby said, get your, get your coat walked him to the door as a Jewish guy and called him a Nazi. He turned to Mr. Cosby and said, I will get you back for this one day. He becomes the president of CNN. CNN parades the women out. That was the get back. Then mm -hmm. Gloria Allred comes out. You could look it up. It's in the LA Times. She comes out and says, Bill Cosby, 
give me $100 million and I will not parade one woman out. Mrs. Cosby said, hell no. Really? And hell no. It's in the LA Times, came out in November 2014. Hmm. So this has always been an Ocean's Eleven extortion attempt. Mr. Cosby should have never been charged, but the way it happened in 05, this man settled out of court, waived his Fifth Amendment rights. The only reason that Bruce Castor, the former DA, sent him to civil civil litigation is because Andre Constant gave five different statements that were inconsistent to five different law enforcement agencies. He said, there's no way I could bring criminal charges. So he foreclosed on criminal charges. Mr. Cosby sits for a deposition four days, waives his Fifth Amendment rights, not thinking he was waiving them to his detriment. Mm. He spoke openly and freely. Page 126, for all the people, let's get it correct, who said Bill Cosby admitted to drugging and raping women, go to page 126 of the deposition. They asked him, did you give women drugs without their consent? He said, no. Did you have quaaludes? He said, yes. That was the party drug of the 70s. That was that culture. They were called disco biscuits. Did you ever give women quaaludes without their consent? No. Did you ever give women quaaludes? Yes. With their consent? Yes, I did. That was Mm -hmm. the gist of their position. So Mm -hmm. Dolores Troiani, I'm going to show you how this turned out to be a perfect script, a season script, the greatest movie script. That's why I say it's an Ocean's Eleven extortion script that Gloria Allred was able to put together. So Dolores Troiani is the attorney for Andrea Constant. She had the actual deposition in her in, in, in her possession. That's how Gloria Allred was able to say quaaludes. Talked about mm. half quaaludes. Because Dolores Trani had already shown her the script, the transcript from the deposition, which was sealed by the federal court. So long wow. story short, uh, they, they parade the women out. Gloria mm-hmm. Allred is not representing women as their attorney. We found out during both trials. They call her, her their publicist, not the attorney, but the publicist. So she has the script. She knows what to say. Uh, they keep the women coming out. Gloria Allred runs ads. If you billboards, if you all have been uh, drugged or raped by Bill Cosby, please call this number. Of course, if people think they see $100 million, they see money, they're going to call. It's like seeing the lottery is up to $50 million. You're going to try to go buy lottery tickets, right? Bill Cosby became the biggest lottery ticket. Well, you know, and that, that's the part that got me. You know, I'm a financial guy, and right. uh, I understand my expertise is actually financial psychology. And okay. one of the things about money that a lot of people don't know, uh, MIT professor Andrew Lowe showed that that receiving money has the same effect on your brain as cocaine. Like, literally, we get a high when we uh, right. anticipate the receiving of money, like Pavlo's cool. dog. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring it up because uh, <clears throat> when you talk about things like reasonable doubt, uh, you cannot on any planet that I know of argue that if you dangle a hundred million dollars out in front of a bunch of people, some of whom are maybe are drug addicts, right? Cause you're talking about drugs and money. 
you, you're gonna have some 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 people that are gonna step forward just to get a paycheck. And and and, and what you were saying, and I'd like for you to elaborate on this. There at the same time, I remember hearing people with that slogans didn't make sense to me, like like believe all women. And right. I, I was thinking, I'm supposed to believe you just because you're a woman. Like women are not capable of telling a lie. Uh, and, and so so when you buy into those hashtags and slogans, it seems to me that that you're gonna have a situation where the the pool of of accusations can't be trusted because it's it's highly tainted by people that have the wrong incentive. Can you can you kind of speak on some of that? And maybe in terms of things people should know about because to me we know everything about Mr. Cosby that, that the media wants us to know. What about the accusers? Why is it wrong to ask questions about the accusers? The media told me when we were bringing it up, it's called victim shaming, re-victimizing a victim to ask them a question. So you mean to tell me if a woman accuses a man of rape or sexual assault, the police is not, or the detectives are not supposed to question her? How do you get a, a, a valid kit done on her if you don't ask her what happened? She just mm-hmm. says it happens and it's true, it's valid. And they told us we're not vetting none of these women. Every media media outlet, we had reports. One of the women who testified at his second trial where he was convicted, Shalene Lasha, we showed pictures. You could Google her online where she was on crack. She was on cocaine. Mm. She was living on the streets. Gloria already, she calls in and sees the ad running on, on television in Los Angeles, as she stated in her testimony, and she calls Gloria Allred. They get her cleaned up. You had Judges Baker Kennedy, who was one of the 404B witnesses in the second trial. She said, me and my own witness stand under oath. She lives in Los Angeles. I've done every drug named the man. LSD, crack, cocaine. I pop pills. Me and my girlfriend, we was out searching for big black men. That's mm. what we the big black man. The big black brutal buck, basically. Mm. She said, I cannot remember if Mr. Cosby raped me or if it was consensual because I was high on drugs. She says it's in her testimony. Mm. Another woman uh, in the trial, one of the 404B witnesses, she comes in and says, look, I don't remember anything what happened. I slept for three days. My family did not, Lisa Lot Loveland out of Vegas, my family did not wake me up for three days. I was with Bill Cosby. He was mentoring me. He started rubbing my hair. I fell asleep and he left me there. I don't, I can't say if he raped me or not. Now the judge is saying that these 404B witnesses, their testimony, he's telling the jury, well, their testimony is not a part of the trial. You're not to remember that and take that into deliberation. Mm. How could I say something like that when I see women crying on a witness stand? Janice, Dick, Janice Dickerson. This is a woman who wrote a book, second trial, 404B witness, writes in her book, Bill Cosby had me in Lake Tahoe. She told him she wanted to be a singer. He flew her. She was shooting in some country, uh, some film ad, some commercial ad. She flies to Lake Tahoe. Uh, She wanted to meet Phyllis Hyman. Uh, Mr. Cosby introduced her to Phyllis because she claimed she wanted to be a singer. 
Well, she comes to Mr. Cosby's hotel room. This is what she writes in her book. She wanted to have sex with him. He blew her off and closed the door in her face. She stated, I went to my room, popped two quaaludes and drank a bottle of wine and went to sleep. They said, Miss Dickinson, you wrote this in your book that he blew you off. She says, called poetic licensing. I made it up to get a paycheck. Mm, She accused Sylvester Stallone of being the father of her child. And then she had to come back and eat those words when they did a DNA test and found it not to be true. This is a supermodel, Janice Dickinson. So we media would sit in the in the courtroom, Dr. Watkins. I'm sitting in that courtroom and I'm hearing them sharing stories. And they're telling the New York Times reporter, hey, you don't write this story to the New York Post reporter. I'm going to write this story and we, we got to make him look guilty. They huddled up. They went to lunch together. Associated Press, this, this CNN, Mary Claire, Mary Ann Haggerty with NBC. And that's why we say NBC stands for Bill Cosby. Mary Ann mm-hmm. Haggerty, she comes and she's the producer booker for NBC, been with them for years. She flies all of the women in, pays for handlers, car service hotels, they're hanging out in Philadelphia like they're rock stars. Now, these are supposed to be victims. Victims now. (laughs) Victims walking around like rock stars. (laughs) Not sad, not crying. They're doing interviews, taking photos, signing autographs. You know, (laughs) I can't make this up, man. I cannot make this stuff up. And, and, uh, you know, uh, my job, as I tell everybody, is people say, well, okay, he gets paid to do this. We all have to make a living. They they got paid too. But however, my job was to understand, and I understood in the first trial, that's why we got a hung jury. The first trial, the jury was out of Allegheny County, uh, the jury out of Pittsburgh. That jury was comprised of more older people. The jury foreperson was an older white woman in her 60s. Uh, she said to us, we interviewed her after the hung jury. It was 50 hours of de- deliberation, the longest uh, hours of deliberation in the history of Montgomery County. She said to us, stay away from young people. They wanted to pull out their cell phones. She said, we came to a not guilty verdict immediately and the judge told us to go back in the room and start deliberating really yeah that was the first trial but we got a hung jury out of that um so i understood that you have the lawyers but in this world today you're in a different era now trials today are held in the public that's where the trial is held the lawyers could do all what they can do, but their their hands are hand they're handcuffed. They can only do so much. They can't call the judge out because of canon laws. You know, the judge has the ability to disbar you, to reprimand you. I'm different. So I knew then I went to Mr. and Mrs. Cosby. I said, look, I'm gonna hold my own trial. I'm holding it every day on the courthouse steps. And I told him, I said, as long as you're in here. I will be holding my own trial. I will 
be the attorney representing you in the public without having to go to law school, without having to go through the bar, without having to realize that we're not having to worry about my bar license being stripped from me. All you could do is bash me, but I have the ability to bash you back. So, and when you throw the rock to hide your hand, I get to see the hand that throw the rock and get to call you out. So, this is a different form of, this is a different fight, as I told the Cosby's. I said, look, I understand your platform. I understand you're Bill Cosby, the guy who cleaned comedy. But this is a different fight. I said, if you're in a street fight, you don't have a referee. You can't say, hold on, let me take my shorts off. Let me smile for the camera. Because <laughs> the guy going to start beating your butt, okay? There's no referee in a street fight. It's a gutter fight. Well, you know what? Uh, um, I, 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 I want to make a point on that, which I think is great. And I like that. Uh, you know, that, that street fight analogy, I think, is perfect. And, uh, and everybody, in case you just came in, I'm speaking with Mr. Andrew Wyatt. Uh, he is the spokesperson of uh, Bill Cosby and his family. If, if I, is, is that an accurate title? Yes. And uh, and we're talking about the Bill Cosby case, things that the public doesn't know. Um, and uh, if you could, please do take one second, everybody. Please hit the thumbs up button. Hit the share, subscribe button. Share this video. Share, share, share. Everybody in here that has a social media platform, please take this link right now. Put it on your Facebook, put it on your wherever you can put it, Twitter, wherever, because we want people to hear all sides of the story. We know that these sides don't get hurt. And uh, I'm not even going to pretend to be uh, completely neutral on this. Uh, at best, I can say I'm a biased observer in the sense that y'all know, point blank, period, that I felt that Mr. Cosby's civil rights were violated. Uh, but I do think that those who disagree have a right to be heard. So if you're in the chat and you disagree, that's okay. Uh, but but I think all the sides need to be heard. So let me let me let me ask you about this. You talk about a street fight. One of the things I noticed, uh, Mr. Wyatt, was as this was going on, and I'm gonna tell you, I, I followed it all along. I, in my mind, I said, I don't want to forget about this 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 man that did so much for many of us throughout throughout the years in terms of consciously developing television programming that was beneficial to our community, uh, giving millions of dollars to HBCUs before anybody else was really doing it at that level. Nobody's done it at that level as far as I'm concerned. Um, and and, and I, I imagine <clears throat> I'm, I'm a little bit of an empath and and I imagine how it must feel to be, you know, beyond the age of 80 and you are being sent away to a place as terrible as prison. I mean, I, I, most 22 year olds can't, you know, have a hard time in prison I can't imagine being over 80. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, can you speak to how you made it through the dark times? Because there were times where I just felt, felt bad for you. I said, man, this is, I'm going to keep rooting for them, but I don't know if they're going to win this fight. You know, and so so the, the, the um, I'm not going to call it an exoneration because as Judge Joe Brown mentioned, it wasn't an exoneration because the conviction in my view, if, if maybe you can help me know if, if I'm saying this right, was not legal in the first place. So uh, his release was just a surprise. How did you make it through the dark times? Like, what what was the strategy uh, that that you used to be able to just stand up against a system that uh, didn't seem to provide a lot of hope? Well, look, I, as I told Mr. and Mrs. Cosby, I said, "You have to hand everything over to me. I am not. I'm more than just a PR person. I do crisis management, the marketing, the branding. Uh, I oversee everything." 
for the Cosby's social media, just everything for the family. And so you got to hand all the reins to me where not only do I vet the attorneys and I'm, I'm part of the hiring process, I vet the investigators. I'm part of the hiring process. Everything runs through me. Um, and they agreed. Uh, and I said, look, if you run it through me, then I can hold people accountable to doing their jobs because a lot of people see money. Okay. When they see you or an animal wounded, you're in distress. They come to your different properties and they see how you're still living at this age. They want to take the money. And, um, what I just started constructing, there was no book. There was no book I could go to. There was no one I could call. It was trial and error. I, but I told him, I got to keep a presence for you out here. The difference in when you see a Weinstein or Robert Kelly, there's nobody humanizing them. Mm. I had to continue to humanize Mr. Cosby to tell his story, to remind people who had forgotten, to remind people who did not know, to remind a new generation of the greatness of this man and all that he had done. And he has used his celebrity and he used his wealth to humanize all races, all genders, all religions. And I had to continue to put those stories out there in different formats. We were blocked through mainstream media. So I went to black media. I went to the place where they have always been discounted. Okay. Where they're not given a voice. We only run to black people when we get in trouble because everybody else turn on us. But we run to the black, we run back to black. The beauty of Mr. Cosby, what made it so easy is that when he, ever since he's been touring and doing shows, he would make every reporter, I mean, not every promoter, you did not get to book him on a show unless you bought $50,000 worth of ads in black newspaper. Mm. It's the only way. So I told Mrs. Cosby, I said, you know what? They think that they're winning. Here's the first thing that I'm going to do. I'm not going to rely on, 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 on American media. I went, I went overseas. I started putting statements out over in the foreign media. They love Bill Cosby. They still play his shows. They believe in conspiracy theories. Across the pond, they know conspiracy theories happen. They see bombs. They see people bombing trains. They get government. They get spies. In America, we think it's some James Bond movie, right? So we think that we're watching uh, 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 Black Panther or something. We don't, we, don't, we, see, we don't see it as being real, happening. So I went straight to the foreign press. When they started running my stuff, American media started calling. I bypassed them. I went straight local. Every city that had a local station, I went online. I got all of the local stations, Will in West Virginia, some of the smallest markets you could think of, who's looking for news all the time. And I understand that game because that's the business I come from. I worked for ABC 3340 for seven and a half years here in Birmingham, Alabama. I worked for Fox 6 News here three and a half years here in Birmingham, Alabama. I come from the news side of things. I watched. They taught me how to set politicians up. As they taught us that. I come from an HBCU, a small historically black college here, Miles College in Birmingham. So I was the first black intern at ABC 3340. They hired me after three days. 
So once I learned the business and I saw how the business worked, I told Mr. and Mrs. Cosby, I said, look, let's go local. So I went to all of the small markets who needed news, who could not pull news off of the feeds, who possibly didn't get a get, do an interview with me. And they started booking me. Well, with the with the ABC station in Willing, West Virginia, by that's owned by family, or Lafayette, Louisiana, some small station out there that might be owned by family. I still make the news. I went to local newspapers, gave them interviews with me. I would put Mr. Cosby on the phone with them. Look, they they were they were just interested in talking to Bill Cosby. <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 well, well, let me ask. Well, let me ask you about the, I'm going to tell you, the black media, I noticed, um, I, I'm really still almost, um, uh, I'm not going to say surprised, I'm intrigued, uh, because I did a survey on my Twitter. Now, the people that follow me, they're not just black people, but they are black people who, I argue, uh, have a little bit more awareness. You know, it, it, I, I, did, I openly state, we want intelligent people, either you are intelligent or you want to be more intelligent. Like the ignorance, we, we're not into that. And uh, amongst the people that follow me on Twitter, 88%, I asked them, I said, how many of you believe Bill Cosby should have been allowed out of prison? 88% of them said that they agree with the decision to let him out. Now, what's fascinating to me, and I'd love to get your take on this, is how different that point of view is from what you see in mainstream media and how mainstream media works so hard to make sure that point of view is not even hurt. That, that just... Um, it's, it almost sounds like it's almost like even a waste of time to even try to even address or to engage with mainstream media. I mean, what's your strategy on that? Don't engage with them. Or when they do have me on, look, I, CNN never has, has me. I got in, in a debate, an argument, a text debate with Don Lemon three days ago. And I said, look, you never had me on your show. And the reason why you would never have me on, my, on your show is because, you know, I got the truth and facts. I'm going to call you out for what you did not do. Uh, so you bypass that. You don't run to mainstream media. You try to use social media. Look, Mr. Cosby has 3.3 million followers. I have that platform. Uh, and I, I just I just pound black media. What what I understood, although I've never had a social media page or a website in my life by design, because I've always said that social media was created to take black people away from current events of the day. They give you one sound bite and it's believable. And it's to influence the black community against each other. I understand it's a, it's, it's, it's a useful platform, but now people use it to uh, attack you and you don't get to see your attacker. So that's mainstream media. They show you that they're the attackers. So you bypass them. You, you put out in the papers. But what I always how I played them, I will always have informational things. And then I'll put it out and give someone an exclusive like a black paper or some black entity, a black radio show. Mainstream media figures it out. And it was like, oh, I want to come to Andrew now. Uh, <laughs> like I gave Frankie Darcell of the Frankie Darcell show last summer, Camille Cosby. Nice. Well, now you come to me. I, I, I got the poker chips. I, I'm going fishing with you. Right. I got the bait. I know what you want. I throw the bait out there and then you see that you didn't get it. Now you want to play fair. Now you want to give me something. I'm just playing the same game that they're playing. That's all. It's it's the same game. But, well, you know, one of the things that I found really interesting is, and I want to ask you about this. Um, 
a uh, a lovely la- lady by the name of Felicia Rashad, uh, who's the dean of fine arts at Howard University. Uh, we know her from the Cosby Show. She made some um, supportive remarks on Twitter uh, when Mr. Cosby was released. Uh, she seemed to just celebrate his release, and she felt that right. justice was served. And then you saw the backlash. You saw um, Howard University was jumping out saying, no, she really didn't mean that. And then she took the tweet down and had to apologize. And and a lot of students uh, have pushed back against her. And I've also read that that your team has actually come back to defend her. Uh, where does that stand? And, and what what is your take on all that's going on with Howard? Uh, and, and also, I'd be curious to know uh, if you're able to share the extent to which Mr. Cosby, I'm sure he's given them a penny or two over the years it's got to feel like a betrayal that they are sort of being so one-sided on this. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Look, I, I, think it's, I think it's an egregious behavior with Dr. Fredericks, the president of Howard University. Mr. Cosby would be on the phone with him during the midst of what we were going through with these allegations, during the midst of trials. And he would tell Mr. Cosby, I support you. Uh, we know what this is. This is, you know, this is the president of Howard who would say this to Mr. Cosby on the phone. I'm on the phone. I'm listening. We know what this is. We know that white people in America have been jealous of you for a very long time and they're trying to destroy you. You know, they've given millions of dollars to Howard uh, University. Mr. Cosby has supported HBCUs, but as he said to me, when you have a board that's comprised of some of the biggest corporate conglomerates and where Howard University board gets to have an annual meeting, lunch meeting, board meeting in the headquarters of a, uh, of American Express. There you go. There you go. When you have people from the White House that sits on your board, at one time it was Ernie Duncan sat on the board, Secretary of Education. When you have those type of individuals, you're no longer, you lose your blackness, you lose your identity. And you will always be uh, at the hands of your oppressor, because now they have shown you that the only way you get to eat and eat well is if you, if you do what I tell you to do. It's just like with Morehouse and Spelman, we found out that Walmart and the Koch brothers sat on that board and they told them, look, uh, do away with Bill Cosby and we'll make it right for you. And they did it. So it's a egregious behavior. Look, Ms. Rashad is not only a graduate of that institution, but the statement I put out, if you truly believe in the Constitution, you have to believe in the First Amendment, right? Freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom to assembly, freedom of religion, and freedom to petition the government. Mm-hmm. So what you have said is that we're going to take well, one of the greatest law schools on your campus now that resides on your campus. You're saying that freedom of speech is only applied when we tell you to speak. Mm. That's a question. That's a and also when we tell you what to say. And tell you when to delete. Uh, it's unfortunate that Mr. Cosby, here's what we, we had a problem with. Ms. Rashad was one of the first people to come out and she did a news interview with Lindsay Davis of Good Morning America at the height of the allegations, sat down and, and said, spoke her piece about Mr. Cosby and said, this is not the man that I know. There was no problems. Sometimes, uh, Dr. Watkins, we have to be careful 
when we take positions today with corporations and institutions as entertainers, because we still think we have the flexibility to have our own voice. The minute you uh, take those positions, whether it's with a corporate entity or some type of educational entity, you lose your voice. That voice goes away. Uh, they, you become uh, the puppet and they're the ventriloquist. That you're, they got their hands in your back and they tell you what to say. And that's unfortunate, but uh, we support, we stand behind Miss Rashad. She's a wonderful person. She, uh, she doesn't deserve this. Shame on the students of Howard University. Shame on the faculty and staff and shame on President Fredericks because you should stand behind her because of what she's given to your institution. Uh, and what she can continue to give to your institution. So that's all that I can say on that. All right. Well, everybody who's watching, I'm speaking with Mr. Andrew Wyatt. He is the spokesperson for Bill Cosby and his family. Uh, Everybody uh, hit the thumbs up button. Please hit the thumbs up button and share this interview because all sides need to be heard. And uh, you all are our distribution network. Uh, Black media, y'all, all all of y'all who are watching, you are part of black media. Y'all helped make this happen, and uh, and I congratulate you, and I hope everybody in the chat will take a moment and just tell this brother what a great job he did. You know, um, I, I, I admit I didn't know your name before all this happened, and I know it now. I'll never forget it uh, because, uh, you know, it, it was uh, it was, it was kind of tough to watch, and, and it wasn't tough for me to watch. I'll, I'll keep it 100 with you. It wasn't tough for me to watch because I, I knew for sure you know, guilt or innocence. I, 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 I honestly still don't know. I wasn't there and you right. know, all these things allegedly happened, but that was the thing that made me um, that much more determined when it came to, uh, you know, really leaning on what the constitution says, you know, innocent till proven guilty. Right. So when, when, when these things come up, I've had people, you know, confront me about things like, uh, I like, for example, Charlemagne, the guy was accused of some stuff years ago. Right. Uh, he and I were kind of friends and people are like, well, what do you think happened? I, I'm like, I don't know. I wasn't there. You know, uh, Russell Simmons, I'm friends with him. Well, what do you, what do you think about what Russell Simmons was accused of 30 years ago? I'm like, I don't know. And, and then I say, then I ask the, the question that I think is pretty logical. You know, my wife's a professor too. These are the questions we ask. We say, okay, well, where's the evidence? Show us the evidence, and then maybe we can give you more of an opinion, but we don't know, and neither do you. And why is that such a radical idea to simply say, uh, where's the proof? You know, I mean, if, if, there's, if there's all these accusers and all these stories and all this stuff, uh, you know, and Mark Lamont Hill's arm waving and going crazy, which I think honestly was a personal thing, because, you know, that's the to me, it's, it's always been personal between him and Mr. Cosby. Uh, they had some crossings. Uh, when Mark Lamont was, I think he was a professor at Temple or something. Uh, they, they've had some run-ins. I call Mark Lamont Hill. His, my nickname for him is the perfect idiot. Okay. <laughs> Please explain. He's the perfect idiot. You know, this guy, it's just the off-the-cuff things that he say that don't make any sense. To have a doctorate in hip-hop, from a prestigious Ivy League university. He's the perfect idiot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
I, that's all I can say about him because <laughs> Josh Joe Brown undressed this guy. Look, he took this guy clothes off and then made him run around naked, and he didn't even realize he was running around naked. You know, he, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I don't How could you watch a person take your clothes off, undress you, strip you down, educational wise, teach you the law, and say, "Now, don't run around the neighborhood naked." Be perfect, <laughs> idiot. Yeah, yeah. Mark Mark was uh, in a debate that I think was above his pay grade. You know, I, I, I if he I was, I'd be mad at whoever set it up. Judge Joe Brown skint him up, as we say in the hood. He got skint up. Yes. And, uh, and 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 he became he became more furious when someone put out a flyer of a party happening in Atlanta, a welcome home Bill Cosby party. It happened at a club in Atlanta, and the flyer started circulating. Um, and the media started calling him about it. it was, and it was on July 4th. And uh, Mark Lamont said, Are y'all effing serious? And, and I love the rapper Willie D. He said, Man, who are you? <laughs> yeah, magic happened in your childhood that we need to be talking about. Did you, did you get violated in your childhood? Because this guy just has the worst axe to grind. Look, I, I tell people all the time, when you look at that ruling, uh, Dr. Watkins, that the Pennsylvania State Supreme, their opinion that they issued, they specifically said there, there's, there, there's two essential uh, amendments uh, in, in the Constitution, the 5th and the 14th. And they're put in place for the powerless, whether rich or poor, against the powerful which are the gatekeepers in the judicial system. You can't be mad at Mr. Cosby that they saw that his constitutional rights were abolished and his due process was stripped away. And they vacated his conviction for in perpetuity. They Mm -hmm. did that because Judge Stephen T. O'Neill, the hanging judge, the district attorney, Kevin Steele, Gloria Allred, and all of their cohorts, they went outside of the rules of law and they grossly abused this man, Bill Cosby, this American citizen's due process. Mm. So you can't be mad and call it a technicality because then what you have to do, if the media wants to say it's a technicality and his constitutional rights or he has lost, y'all have pulled his car where well, he's not an American citizen anymore. Mm. You know, if you want to say that, then what you're saying, all of the empathy and sympathy that we showed to the Floyd family, Breonna Taylor's family, Mike Brown's family, Trayvon Martin family, Tamir Rice family, Sandra Bland's family, Eric Gardner's family. What we're saying is that their deaths were a technicality in so many words, because what we're saying is that their constitutional rights were a technicality. Unfortunately, they were, their constitutional rights were dead on arrival. Mm-hmm. Mr. Cosby is alive to see uh, what happened to him, and he was vindicated. He was vindicated, uh, and he should have never been brought to trial. But it was a campaign promised by the district attorney who ran a Willie Horton-style campaign ad, which said, if you elect me, I will bring Bill Cosby to justice. 
It was all on a campaign promise. And it happened because in the judge, to give you some background, the reason why the judge jumped in on this is because Bruce Castor, who gave Cosby the deal in 05, Judge Stephen T. O'Neill ran for DA against Bruce Castor. He lost because Castor ratted him out because he was having an affair with Castor's ADA. That's why he lost the election. Okay, so he had an axe to grind. On Mr. Cosby's name and reputation, they all had an axe to grind. Uh, Steele knew this guy was a Republican. He changed his party to Democrat because Castor was a Republican to run against him. But when he ran that commercial saying, if you elect me, I'll go after Bill Cosby, that put him over the edge. Mm -hmm. This was all about people using Mr. Cosby for their political aspirations. Hmm. And it's always been that way. Look, we see it today. Every time now somebody has a new album to drop, a new book to come out, Craig Melvin, MSNBC, you have a machine behind you, a mainstream machine, and you just announced your new book two weeks ago, but you got to invoke Bill Cosby into it. Mm. Why do you, you can't get enough media attention with NBC? Hmm. So it's all of those things that the public need to be aware of. Look, how could Bill Cosby go around raping white women in the 60s and 70s when he was put on the Nixon's communist list for not performing at the White House, along with Gregory Jane Fonda? All of Mr. Cosby at that time, his shows were being canceled. Uh, He was being watched by the FBA. They bugged their homes. Now, you mean to tell me during that time, and go Google it. Go Google it. Mr. Cosby, I think he was number, I could be wrong, 129 on Nixon's enemies list. Okay, so how could you, in the height of the civil rights movement, coming out of the civil rights movement, a black man, you're drugging and raping white women? Look, man, I don't care if he Bill Cosby or whomever. They would have rolled in on their white horses and picked him up from the house. Mm. Well, what type of support? Speaking of the civil rights movement, um, I've noticed a lot of civil rights activists who seem to have no problem with the idea that Cosby civil rights were violated. Um, that, that's ironic to me. Uh, now, in terms of uh, if you were to sort of characterize the response of civil rights leaders uh, as a collective uh, to what's going on with Mr. Cosby, would you feel that they've been mostly supportive or uh, have been mostly um, uh, had mostly had animus toward toward Mr. Cosby? I think that they turn into the movie Ghost Dad. Mm. <laughs> okay? And what I mean by that, I talked to so many of them. Um, they were they, they started telling me, well, I'm old now. Mm. People love me now. Uh, I can't get into that fight. I'm making money now. I have a family. Mm. Look, Mr. Cosby and Mrs. Cosby, when Jesse Jackson ran for president, Mr. and Mrs. Cosby gave the Jacksons a million dollars. They didn't want them to have to go to the Jews, ask for any money. They paid all, all of their bills off, all of their debts. They paid it off. They paid their mortgage off in Chicago for their home that they still live in. They bought, purchased them a home in D.C. that they still own today. Mr. and Mrs. Cosby gave Reverend Jackson access to their private plane so he can go to speaking engagements and campaign rallies. They did all of these things. And I, and I said to Reverend Jackson, he stayed away. Now, he would see me out. 
and say, I don't have his number. Well, how can you forget a man's number when you still live in the houses that he bought you? Uh, Al Sharpton. When Al Sharpton, if you remember the story back in the day of Tawana Brawley, that's the woman that accused the officer of putting feces on her and urinating on her, the black woman in New York. Bill yep. Cosby heard the story, came to her defense and gave this woman $50,000 her family. Al Sharpton, he did that for Reverend Sharpton. The height of the movement, uh, the height of the accusations, Reverend Sharpton was taking our calls. Every time I would call him, he would take the call. Then I called Reverend Sharpton. I'll never forget. It was January 2015. I said, hey, Reverend Sharpton, Mr. Cosby, we want to talk to you. Because every time he would get on the phone, he was like, you all right? You all right? Let me know what you need. I'm ready to go. So Mm -hmm. I called him. And he said, hold on, I'm going to call you back. Give me 10 minutes till I get in the car. Still haven't received that call. Mm. Wow. Still have not wow. Received that call. wow. When Ambassador Andy Young ran for Congress, a guy by the name of Clarence Avon, they call him the Black Godfather, who Mr. Cosby gave him $200,000 in the 70s to save his radio stations. He called Mr. Cosby and said, look, I want to get this guy. I want to help this guy win. He put on a concert in Chastain Park in Atlanta. He brought in Isaac Hayes. And when people heard Bill Cosby was coming, they had 30,000 people to show up for this free concert. Got Ambassador Young elected. I called Ambassador Young. and He said to me, he said, son, be careful, you're young. We just, I don't know who's doing this and I, I don't know what more I can do, but they're in my thoughts and prayers. Hmm. Well, you know, I, I think now civil rights, that's why Mr. Cosby, when I picked him up from the prison, Dr. Watkins, and the way I, I knew that he was going to get released. I had a source, a guy, white kid who loves Bill Cosby out of Philadelphia. He's Greek. They call him Nick the Hat. Him and they started their own media organization five years ago called YC News, Your Content. He calls me up on that Thursday and said, Andrew, I got an inside track to the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court that Bill Cosby is going to be released. I said, Nick, come on, man. I don't. Come on, Nick. So I get my team on the phone, Debbie Meister, who works out of California office, Keel Wilson, who works out of North Carolina. Uh, handles all our social media. I said, what do I, I said, look, I don't have time to go to Philly. I got other stuff to do. You know, I got so much stuff going on. You know, I know we're on standby. They say, Andrew, just go. So I never told Mr. and Mrs. Cosby I was going to be in Philadelphia. I got to Philadelphia uh, Tuesday morning. I got to Philly. Nick calls me and says, man, they just find Mr. Cosby, $1,005, and Mrs. Cosby, $1,005 for not cutting their line on time. The district attorney, the district attorney finds them. Yeah. So this is Tuesday. I get Mrs. Cosby on the phone with our attorney, Jennifer Bongean. I said, Mrs. C, I said, oh. at this time, she's in New York City at the New York home. So Mrs. Cosby, uh, I was just told by Nick informed that 
they have just fined you $1,005 and Mr. Cosby $1,005 for not cutting your, your lawn and trimming your trees, your hedges. She said, are you serious? I said, yeah, Kevin Steele, the district attorney. I said, now, I don't know when a district attorney has time to go and check people's lawns as if he's about to give an award out. I said, but let me, let me call the district court and find out. Talk to this lady, Wendy. She tells me it's true. I said, are you serious? She said, yes, it's true. So Nick calls me back. He said, something's about to happen. I'm telling you, something's about to happen. The only reason they put a fine on him is because if you're an inmate and about to release, it holds up your, your process of getting released because if you got a fine, you have to pay all the fines. Now, this, this, these guys are 26 <laughs> years old, right? So, you know, I tell Nick, I said, okay, Nick, I'm, nobody. So Mrs. Cosby, she said, what? I said, I called her back. I said, it's true. She said, I said, look, I'll take care of the fine tomorrow morning. She said, Wednesday morning. She said, hold up, where are you? I said, I'm in Philadelphia. She said, what are you doing in Philly? I said, oh, I got so many meetings, Mrs. Cosby. I got a lot to do. And so I had to, I said, look, I got to be in New York. So I just had to kill some stuff off my, my calendar before I head to the West Coast. She said, okay, Mr. Wyatt. I, okay, call me back. So Wednesday come. I go to the bank. I withdraw to my account $2,010 to the cashier's check. I get an Uber. Uh, I'm 10 minutes from the court in Jenkinstown, the township, to go pay this fine. And Nick calls me. He said, yo, bro, Bill Cosby getting out. I said, whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? He said, Andrew, they vacated the entire thing. They threw it out. Wow. So I'm in the car with an Uber driver named Ramon, who's about two <laughs> years old, who speaks very little English. Now he's taking pictures of me. So, <laughs> because he realizes, and this is a true story. And oh, Mrs. Cosby, I said, guess what? Mr. C coming home, they just vacated the conviction. She said, Mr. White, stop it. Stop it. Don't tell me this right now. I don't have time for games. I said, look, this is not a game. This is Cosby. Nick just called me. Oh, Lord. Nick again. I said, Mrs. Cosby, it's true. She said, get your attorney on the phone. I get Brian Perry, the criminal attorney on the phone, out of Harrisburg, the capital of Pennsylvania. I said, Brian, I got Mrs. Cosby on the phone. He said, okay. I said, look, they just threw it out, man. I'm headed to the house to get one of the cars to go pick him up from prison. And Brian said, Andrew, that's not true. I said, look, man, just check your computer. You should have an order there or something. Brian goes to his assistant, check the computer. He said, holy crap. That's not the word he used. <laughs> he said, Mrs. Cosby, it's over. It's over. They threw it all out. So I get to the house. I tell Ramon, I said, look, here's $100. You can charge me whatever you want for the Uber, but here's $100 cash. The house is 10 minutes away. I give him directions. I get to 8210 in 2nd Street. Miss Atkins, the longtime housekeeper who's been with them for 30 years, it was her off day. She wasn't supposed to be there. So Mrs. Cosby calls her. She said, I'm at the house. She said, Andrew is about to pull up. 
She lets me in through the gate. The Uber guy lets me out. He said, look, do you need me for anything? I said, look, I, I'm done. I'm <laughs> so I come into her car. She has a white Subaru. I get on the interstate, man, doing one team. Get to the prison. And it's an hour away. I get there in 40 minutes. And I get to the prison. And the officers know me because whenever I would come in, I'm his only visitor. I always, the same idea during the trial. During the trial, I, whatever we went out for lunch, whatever we bought for our lunch, I fed the entire courthouse on that floor. The officers, anybody, we fed them every day during the trial. So whenever I would come visit him, I would bring, I would have cakes and $300 cakes, pies, hoagies, cheese steaks. Every time I came in, I fed the correctional officers. So we had a great rapport. So if I could not, if Mrs. Cosby didn't hear from Mr. Cosby, I could call the prison. They were going to, an officer, a lieutenant, or a captain was going to get on the phone. Hey, he's fine. That's all I can tell you. Bye. So I had worked out some relationships. I tell everybody in my business, most people collect cars, jewelry, and life. I collect people. Mm-hmm. I collect people. And wow. you have to collect people in this business. Uh, mm. If you learn anything else, don't worry about the material stuff. Worry about collecting good people. Some are going to be bad, and you can weed out the bad. You know how far to get, how deep you're going to go with that individual. But collect people because you never know who you're going to need. We're all going to have to be able to make one phone call. The question is, will that person answer? Mm, and so, I love that. And so what I what I did, I, I got to the – as soon as I pulled up, it was a female, black female correction officer and a white female. They said, let him in. They got me into the prison. I get in there. I walk in. And there's a rule. The correctional officers are not supposed to have any contact with visitors. They ran and bombarded me and hugged me. Then a Lieutenant Spivey, she's a black female, she said, you're going to get in your car and follow me as I walk. Helicopters are flying everywhere. And they... So the the major comes out, white female, officers, trustees who are inmates are everywhere. They come out and they're hugging me. They said, you did it. You did it. You won. The attorneys didn't do this. You did it because you kept the fight. You humanized him. You put the pressure because I would call, I, I call judges out. I call them out for their behavior. I will always say, I hope that these judges are not being swayed by old Q scores or social media. Do the right thing. Do the right yeah. thing. And wow. nobody wants to be called out. Then that's yeah. another thing. Because now with social media, everybody wants to be looked at as being a good, decent person, right? They don't want negative stuff because it's kind of hard to erase the negative stuff once it's out there. And I understand that. And I understand the same way you put a scandal on him. I have the ability to do the same thing, but I have a more powerful tool. I got a camera and I got, I call an entity up and I could do a story and it works every time. And so when they, we get to the back of the prison, they said, no, we're going to pull you inside the prison in the garage. Hmm. Cause the justices basically said, you guys better have him out of that prison in less than 30 minutes. 
in less than 30 minutes. What? Now, why is that? Because they said, look, he should not have ever been there. Mm. He, he, was, he had immunity. Get him out of there. He could not spend a, another hour there. Wow. So, Mr. Cosby, all these officers are surrounding him. I'm video recording. And uh, the whole thing on my second phone, and uh, he hears my voice. He says, Andrew the Great. And he said, friendship is essential to the soul. And we're that's, that's a model in our fraternity. We're all Omegas. And I said, you got that right. And they get him to the car. He said, boy, hold up. Is this a dream? Because he was sleeping. He's he's 100% blind due to glaucoma. He went blind. He can't see you and I. Oh, he wow. lost sight seven years ago. He can't see mm. you. All he could do is touch you. He mm. can't see you and I. And he said, this is wrong to be doing this to a blind man. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, look, let me go back to sleep. He's thinking he's dreaming. <laughs> because they woke him up out of his sleep. He said, man, they woke me out of my sleep. And all these inmates are knocking and clacking and kicking the wall. Yo, Bill, you're free, Bill. Get out of here, Bill. Get out of here. Uncle Bill, you're free. The Godfather, you're free. And he's, so he's telling us, he's all, he said, man. The guy's a black guy. He said, Mr. Cosby, I'm the one that processed you in. And I get to have the honor of processing you out, my brother. Wow. He sat in the car with me. And he touched me. He said, hey, man, you real? I said, Mr. Cosby, this is not a dream. This is real. He said, oh, boy, my heart's racing. I said, look, you okay? You're not going to have a heart attack. He said, no. <laughs> Last thing we need, we get you out of this and you have a heart attack. And he said, no, man. He said, let me say something to you. He said, you just made history. He mm. said, you will go down in history as one of the greatest civil rights icons. They talk about civil rights. And that's why I'm telling the story. And I said, uh, no, I don't want to go down in history for civil rights. I said, because we marched and fall for civil rights. Our, our grandmothers, grandfathers, great-grandparents. I said, but Mr. Cosby, this our civil rights are not their civil rights. Their civil rights are to execute us, persecute us, murder us, mm-hmm. put you in prison. I said, no, I want to go down in history for equal rights. Because I want the same, I want the same rights that they have, and that's what we should be getting. The same respect that they get. Mm-hmm. We my hand. And the major comes to the car. She said, look, I found several officers that got a white car like you. They're going to serve as a decoy. You're going to have two in the front, get in the middle, and two in the back. And I'll be in the middle there. We're going to get you to the interstate. They get me to the interstate. And this guy's telling stories and joking. He's a boy. Who car you got? I said, Miss Atkins. He said, the white Subaru. He said, I said, yes, sir. He said, oh, Lord, OJ had the white Bronco, and we got the white Subaru. <laughs> he said, oh, boy, don't let OJ get a win of this. OJ, we stole his idea. <laughs> oh, man. And, and wow, wow. Man, I get him to the house, and uh, 
Mrs. Cosby gets on the phone with the man and it was like listening to the greatest teenage love affair. Mm. She called him Billy. And she said, Billy, I love you. She had not, she has not, she had not seen him at that time. Two years, 10 months, few days. So he gets up to his room. He said, look, I need you to walk me around. And let me learn the house. And we're at the office park home in Philadelphia. We walk him around. He learns the house in 45 minutes. He gets in his, his bed. He said, look, put on my, I want my Central High School t-shirt. He got out his prison dungarees. And he said, Andrew, I want you to frame these bad boys. He said, frame these clothing. We're going to sell them. We're going to make some money. So, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he's just telling jokes and his attorneys are there. We're all hugging and embracing in his bedroom. And um, we get his temple shirt. And I said, we're going to go walk out together. You don't have to say nothing. We're going to walk out to the cameras together. Mm-hmm. And we're going to show people that you're strong, you're healthy, you're just blind. Prison didn't break you. You broke prison. And I said, the name of the prison is SCI Phoenix. And when you walk in the front door, Dr. Watkins, they have a picture of a phoenix rising out the ashes. I said, there you go. You rose from the ashes. Wow. And, and it's, it's a beautiful story, man. Yes. And he wanted, I said, what do you want to eat? Ms. Atkins said, he said, I want some collard greens, some salmon. He started naming all kinds of stuff. He said, Andrew, get downtown Philly and get me a pizza. Because when <laughs> I see my wife tomorrow, I'm going back to prison, man. No more good food. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, because everything you saw on the Cosby show, we would sneak him food because she doesn't allow him to have potato chips and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so food. He started, he said, look, this one was the coffee from me. And Mr. Fabio, got to tell the story. He's been with the Cosby's 30 years. He's from Columbia. He works out the New York home. He drives from New York to Philly to cook the boss. He calls him the boss. His favorite breakfast. And he's been with him 30 years. And he said, I, I wow. came here to cook the boss his favorite breakfast. Wow. And, uh, so I go, we go get him. I go get him a pizza from Zio's. He said, I want fresh basil, mozzarella, extra sauce, very crispy and crunchy. And he said, boy, he said, Mrs. Cosby, man, I'm drinking a pot of coffee. He said, man, do you realize I got to go see this woman tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> He said, man, she's going to put me on the strictest foods, no no cookies. He said, look, go and get me a sweet potato pie, too. (laughs) Oh, wow. Because in prison, he gave up bread. He gave up uh, desserts. He prepared himself for it because he said, look, I'm going into the iron box. So before he went to sentencing, he started giving up things, preparing himself mentally. And he said... I started doing what Nelson Mandela told me that he did when he was in Robbins Island. He said, I sat with him in that cell and he said, he started giving up things and giving up the things that you like because you don't want to be comfortable. So when they offered him a television in his cell and a radio, he said, no, he said, because I'm not here to stay. They put him in a level five maximum security prison with guys on death row and murder. He asked to be in general population. A guy by the name of Anthony Sutton, he's known by Benny Dew. 
He started the Man Up program in prisons. He's been in there for 33 years in, for murder. His son is in there with him, been in there for 10 years. He made sure Mr. Cosby had security, protected him at all times, taking him to his doctor's appointments. And Mr. Cosby started participating in the Man Up program every Saturday. And they have a band. Since Mr. Cosby plays drums and upright bass, he helped them work on the intro music. So when he come out and they put on a show and they talked to men about being better men, better fathers. And so when these guys would get released, he would give them my cell number so I could call them mm. and stay in touch so they could let him, let him let me know they're doing well and all of the things that they're doing. So. This is a man who's using this opportunity that he went through as a way now. He wants to advocate for people whose constitutional rights have been stripped. So this same guy, Anthony Sutton, Mr. Cosby, he told Mr. Cosby, I'm innocent. The guy who testified against me said I did the murder. He's recanted his statement. Mr. Cosby called me from prison and said, Andrew, uh, he doesn't have any money. I want you to represent him. So I found him an attorney that's doing the pro bono. They told him he would not be in prison in 2023. Wow. Wow. Cosby, he said, my greatest regret is I didn't get to say goodbye to Anthony. And Anthony called us, had his wife to call me on the phone, and he talked to Mr. Cosby. And Mr. Cosby said, hey, look, man, you're next. And so many others like you are next. Wow. that's 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 where we stand. Um, we, we're going to figure out ways how to help people. Like he said to me, he said, Mrs. Cosby would not want me to hear this, say this. He said, but God has a plan for all of us. Who would have ever thought, he said, Andrew, in my old age, I would be sitting here. He said, based on no evidence, no proof, just she said so. I'm sitting here. He said, man, the same guys I was trying to reach on the outside, I now got a captive audience and they want to be around Bill Cosby and learn from me. He's there learning every day. Wow, man, that that is a a great story. And and I know that... um, that you you you've been gracious enough to stay longer than uh, everybody who's watching doesn't know. Um, uh, but Andrew told me before we started, he had an appointment, and uh, and I, I was watching the clock. But when he kept going, I I was gonna let him go because I, I loved hearing that. And uh, and everybody who's watching, uh, and by the way, this brother's name is Andrew Wyatt. He is the uh, fam- family representative uh, for Bill Cosby and uh, and Camille. Uh, everybody, please uh, express your appreciation for this brother and the great work that he did. I know some of you may have mixed feelings about the whole case, and, and I respect that completely. Uh, but I'm not going to pretend to be uh, neutral on this. Uh, I believe that he should never have been in jail. Uh, it was Andrew's courage. I watched Andrew work during the whole case, and he, the, my man, just killed it. And also, uh, please uh, express your appreciation to Dr. Cosby for showing us what manhood looks like. Uh, 80-something years old, faced up against a, a level five maximum security prison. Come on now, y'all. Y'all got to give it up for that. So, uh, so I want to say thank you, man. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, it is great to make your acquaintance, and and like, and I love what you said about forming healthy relationships and and connecting with people in a meaningful way. And uh, and I'm glad to have connected with you, man. Uh, so uh, God bless you, and uh, and I wish you the very best in everything you do. Thank you, man. Well, I, I want to say 
cor- cor- uh, corruption cannot live without collaboration and cooperation. And if we don't collaborate and cooperate, we can kill corruption. The same corruption that went after Bill Cosby that will continue to go after people in our community. I want to say this to you, Dr. Watkins. Thank you for having me. And you will be getting an invitation from Mr. Cosby uh, along with certain black media entities uh, because he wants to empower black media. He wants to pour into black media and he wants to have a sit down conversation. And what I'm, my goal is to plan. I want to have a round table live discussion with him and every person who has a black show that's trying to build their show. We're going to show mainstream media that we don't have to depend on you anymore. We're going to anchor our own, our own ships and we're going to do it the right way for who and what we are and what we have always been. Thank you so much. And as long as you have a microphone and an extra chair or even a computer, you always have me. Thank you. Right on, brother. Right on. All right. Well, I will be there with Bells on. And uh, I love Philly. That's like a second home to me. I, I got so many friends there. It's ridiculous. So I look forward to it. And uh, and, and so God bless you, brother. I'll let you get to your dinner. I know you have something to do. And uh, we're glad you hung out with us. And everybody who's watching, thank you all for hanging out. And uh, make sure you hit the thumbs up button, subscribe before you go. And also, there's an audio version of this podcast at thedrboycebreakdown.com on Spotify and Apple. So just look up the Dr. Boyce Breakdown if you are in your car and you want to hear it via audio. So, uh, everybody, please have a wonderful day. And, uh, Andrew, I'll, I'll, um, uh, it, it, uh, you guys have a wonderful day, and we will see you soon. And uh, take care. We'll talk to you later. Peace. Here we are, clan, the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now, family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn it to intelligence. Believe none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Voice TV. Here we are.